Hello, this is Donna Watson, owner and CEO of the Legacy Experience LLC. Welcome to the Legacy Experience podcast. The Legacy Experience LLC is committed to bringing information regarding all aspects of estate planning to underserved, marginalized, and disenfranchised communities. Our goal is to equip our audience to leave a financial legacy for their family, friends, and community. The Legacy Experience LLC provides resources and information on a host of estate planning components, ranging from legal documents as well as information from partners and allies that assist with retirement planning, wealth accumulation, and transferring wealth at death. Thank you so much for tuning in. to be here and thank you for joining us tonight absolutely or whenever you're listening to this so just kind of give my listeners an intro of who you are um to me this is Sora Donna that's her first name and her last name I don't even you know I don't even speak her last name I feel like I've she's known me before I knew me kind of a thing because we went to the same church and you know met with her mother and met with her growing up so it's just I've just known her since then, and we're Soul Wars, as I said, so, you know, I've just known her forever, but, and seeing you in a different light after reading your book, and so I definitely want to kind of, you talk about what inspired you to write the book, kind of what you've been up to, that sort of thing. Okay, great. I'm happy to have the opportunity to, to kind of just share about my story and about my purpose and my passion, so thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So... I guess initially you asked me what inspired me to write my book, right? Um, yeah. I, um, I felt that I had a story, but I think everyone has a story, right? And I right. can remember whenever I had um, a mentor, um, I do public speaking, and he it encouraged me to write a book. And I said, well, I don't really have anything to write about. And he was like, well, eventually you will and then write a book and then that will accompany or act as a companion to your speaking engagements. And so um, I went through uh, a situation where uh, my loved ones passed away and I had to deal with not only the emotional aspects of their death, but the legal aspects as well. And so I started journaling some of the experiences that I was going through, some of the tips I wanted to tell people that I knew, uh, my clients, and then uh, the the journal entries became longer and longer, and then I decided, hey, maybe it's time to really put this uh, pen to paper and convert it to a book. And so mm-hmm. I started, I started um, writing um, longer um, passages, if you will. I identified an editor who began working with me to uh, kind of condense the language so it wouldn't sound so so much like legalese, uh, which is my background. I, I'm an attorney um, by trade and working as a trust uh, officer. Um, and so we began to really kind of craft it and and begin to it began to take form and take shape. And so um, I decided that it was something I wanted to get published and 
uh, began marketing, and it's just been nothing but a great journey. But really, it, it came out of going through an experience and wanting to share the lessons from my experience with with the, with a broader audience. I think that's why I do this podcast, really to express my experiences as being a young black missus. And I think I think you're right. Everyone has a testimony. Everyone has a story that they can share. And your story is my legacy experience, how my mother's life prepared me for her death. Wow. So I really know that a lot of your book is talking about leaving a legacy. So can you like walk my listeners through what that legacy means? And then I'll have further questions. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So when I think about leaving a legacy, and I guess what a lot of people think about is leaving some type of financial or tangible um, uh, product or tangible thing that people will remember you uh, by. So your legacy could could be that you left, you know, $5,000 to a college. And so those types of tangible legacy are important because they help either the next generation, they can help your immediate family, they can help an organization that you're concerned about. And so that becomes uh, a resource uh, to give people leverage to achieve their goals. And so uh, I think leaving a financial legacy is so important because uh, it, it, it equips the people that are left behind to pursue goals and dreams, it it prevents them from having to reinvent the wheel. And when I think about that, I think about um, different dynasties that I'm familiar with where, uh, like the Rockefellers, like they had money and then when they died, they left that money to the next generation and that next generation left the money to the next generation, all the while that money continues to grow. And I think sometimes in, in some communities, those lessons aren't taught. So when people get big windfalls of money, when someone passes away, they spend it instead of reinvesting it and using it to um, act as a kind of seed, if you will, and allow it to grow. And so one of the things that I'm really passionate about is uh, leaving financial legacies. But that's not the only legacy that people can leave, right? So there's the financial legacy, there is the um, uh, character legacy, right. um, the um, the faith legacy that you leave. And I think that those are just as important because um, I can't tell you how many people are left money, but they don't have memories or good uh, feelings about the person that left them the money. All they know that they're a financial benefactor, but um, I think leaving an emotional and a character legacy is just as important. And so it's really just about uh, identifying early. How do I want to be remembered? Do I want to be remembered as a good person and whatever good means to you? Do I want to be remembered because I was able to leave resources um, and whatever that looks like to you? Uh, but just defining what you want to be remembered by, I think is the beginning of leaving a legacy. Yes. And I, I think like one in reading your book, I feel like I, what I loved about your relationship with, well, I feel like your mom really taught you about finances in a, in a way that I think was so beautiful and helpful. Like the way she was able to leave, leave behind, you know, she started investing. She was a nurse, right? She was a nurse. 
and she was able to. Oh put no! She actually wasn't. She worked. Um, she was an X-ray technician. Oh. But I know everyone thought she was a nurse. Her scrub, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So she was in the medical field. I guess I always thought. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But but mm-hmm. um, so she was in the medical field, and she maybe you the way you're describing your book, it sounded like maybe she didn't have a whole bunch, but she just worked what she had. And I just I think that's a really good lesson when when just coming up, like for you to see your mom working hard and you know putting aside what she can and being real. I say frugal, real smart about her money, because not all of us experience that. And so I think, like you said, a character legacy, that's definitely something that she left behind with you. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. I agree. I And I think I'm, I'm so grateful because um, I think we live in a, in a society where we consume a lot. And so um, I didn't we didn't have a, I didn't have a lot growing up. I mean, I, and I in no way want to say that, you know, I was hungry or uh, lacking anything, but we just didn't have an excess of anything. And uh, to this day, it's, it's difficult. I have to like, you know, tell myself, um, you know, it's okay to do certain things because I, I really always mentally check myself. I don't want to be excessive. And even by, you know, modern day standards, um, my mother would say I'm excessive, but I, I don't think that I am. <laughs> but, I, but I just love the way that she taught me about, you know, giving and about not being greedy. Um, I was uh, raised as an only child. And so the tendency uh, that people um, or the kind of a, um, moniker that you get when you're an only child is that you're spoiled and you don't know how to share. And so I think she deliberately uh, made certain choices in the way that she raised me so that I would not be a spoiled brat and I would know how to share and I would not be con- just consumed with myself. So um, I, 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 I'm so grateful. It's, it's interesting because it took uh, time. I had to grow into a woman to really understand what she was doing and the lessons that she uh, was trying to teach me. Um, it was, it was, um, it was uncomfortable and not fun when I was younger. Cause I thought, Oh, you know, I could do, we could do this or, you know, why are you being restrictive? But I, but I get it now. And I'm so grateful. So grateful. Yes, that is, I, I think, I'm sure you still hear your mother in your head like I hear my mother in my head. And, and, and it yeah. annoys me sometimes, but then I'm like thankful that I can, that I can hear her. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. I wanted to know, getting back to your book, it's, I like it because it's like, it, it's an, a real easy read. I read it on my commute and I was like, okay. And then you have this lovely checklist in the back here. So I can be like, boop, boop, boop when I get it together. <laughs> but okay, so... As a millennial, well, as a millennial, because I feel like we're, and, and I know you said it in your book, like everyone has a mistake. And now only because I have this house do I feel like, okay, now I have something that I own that I would leave behind. But like, walk us through our estate, kind of like what a millennial could do, like 20, 30 something, what we could do to kind of set ourselves up so we could be in a good position God forbid, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the, the biggest things I think that millennials have as uh, an advantage they have over 
people, Generation X, baby boomers. It's time. So you have time to invest. You have time to uh, build resources. You have time to really make some some good choices. And I think about um, uh, advice that I got when I was younger to take advantage of deferred compensation plans at my job. So if they're matching at three, then I'm putting in 3%. And so to start doing that in an early age is more beneficial than to have higher dollars or, or, or more dollars to invest at, a, at an older age. Time deferred value of money. 401k, Donna? You said what? You said de deferred compensation like a 401k? Yes. Okay. 401k, 403b, depending on what your organization is. It's any type of like retirement benefit plan that allows you to put money away tax-free currently or deferred tax, uh, but tax-free at the moment and allows you to grow, uh, grow an account over time. So taking advantage of that is, is critical. And I think that that's something that uh, all millennials should do. Now, um, whether you decide to buy real estate immediately or, or, or whatever um, you decide to do in terms of uh, housing, I think it's very important that you try to eliminate your debt as early as possible because once you're out of debt, you're free. And I know that, like, the cost of uh, a, a, an advanced education uh, is, has risen, and a lot of uh, graduates are graduating with astronomical debt, but finding a way to to kind of reduce that debt. So if that means staying with your parents for two to three years and just taking your checks and just uh, reducing that debt down to something that's manageable, I say do that. Like uh, there's no there's no hurry to buy a car. There's no hurry to buy the house. You'll have plenty of time for that. And I know that that sounds, you know. It may sound, okay, I don't understand because I'm older, but there really is plenty of time for that. But if you can get that debt managed early in your 20s, your 30s, 40s, and 50s will be will be just golden. You can do what you really want to do because so many people are stuck in jobs that they hate, are stuck in uh, organizations that they hate, but they're uh, beholden to those organizations because they need that check. And if you have that financial freedom, you can really pursue the things that you really want to do. So I would say invest early and get rid of debt. Those are my main uh, tips for millennials. Two things. My mom, when I, when I graduated from college, I moved in with my parents. I, and I, it's always weird that I say my mom and my dad is there. I'm sorry, dad. I don't know why, but um, she wouldn't let me leave until I paid my car off. She's like, yep, you're not going anywhere until you pay the car off. Why didn't she say mm -hmm. the loans off? But she's like, yeah, you just stay here until you pay the car off, and then you can get an apartment. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I was thankful for that. But kind of what you're describing as far as the investing and then paying off debt, are you familiar? This is like I'm throwing you on the spot. Are you familiar with the FIRE movement, the financially independent, retire early movement. We've never talked about this on the podcast, but are you familiar with it? Oh, no, I've never heard it, but it sounds uh, exciting. Tell me more. Okay, so from what I understand about it, it's basically, there's there's a lots of schools of thought of it, but basically you live a minimal minimalist life 
to be able to retire early. Some, some have retired in their 30s, in their 40s. So you hit a certain point. I think it's like you save up however much you're making now. Say you make 40,000, you save up 25% of that. And that's like the golden number. And it factors in like inflation somehow. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. now, um, but people have, have saved up within 10 years and retired which basically means that they have whatever in savings um, to be able to live off of, probably like a money market account or something like that. Like they'll liquidate it from the stocks they purchased, something like that. It's very interesting. And when you were talking about that, me and my husband listen to a podcast all the time, the fire movement. We're like, oh God, we got to get into it. But the first thing, like, like the big thing is paying off that debt, you know? And mm -hmm. so that's like- And I think it Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. I, I think most money most money managers and advisors would recommend that. Now, I'm not I'm not familiar with that movement, but what I but what I will say, and and this is the thing that I think that I, I I'm cautious about. Being able to retire is great if you have enough money to live the rest of your life. Um, and when I say the rest of your life we have to factor in that we're living longer. And so what does that look like? So one of the things that I deal with is um, I deal with uh, seniors. So I deal with people that are like in their 60s and their 70s and they're thinking and they're in retirement, but then there's other concerns like long-term health care or having to go into a nursing home or care facilities. And those facilities are anywhere between six and $10,000 a, a month. And so um, I just want people to be realistic about retiring early may mean you may financially uh, be at a point where you have amassed quite a few assets, but I think it's always important to have a constant stream of income. So maybe you're not working the same way you did in your 20s or, 20s or 30s, but I don't ever think it's, it's a good idea to like cut off your income stream. So yeah. um, maybe, maybe you'll do something different. Like maybe you'll become a speaker or you'll become a writer and you'll publish books. And, you know, maybe that retirement looks a little bit different, but I think it's very important that we continue to um, grow income streams because not only is it enough, we want to have enough for us to retire, but we want to have enough to pass on to the next generation. Yes. I agree with that. And I think with the FIRE movement, a lot of it is about having, like you said, having different streams of income, like they, a lot of real estate kind of stuff like that, um, that they mm -hmm. have on, or maybe they have like a business that kind of lives on without them actually having to work. So I, I just think it's different things. You should look into that. That's probably something that would really interest you since you. I you know, am. I, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like, I pulled it up. Yes, so I'm gonna look at yeah. this YouTube video on it when we get off the phone. <laughs> oh yeah, well tell me what you think about it, and and I'd love oh. to get your opinion offline about it. But since you kind of brought up uh, the mature, I, what I like to call the seasoned folk. Okay, so <laughs> maybe I'm asking this question for my personal whatever. Okay, so my my lovely grandparents, who you saw, I think you saw yesterday. You know, they're mm -hmm. in their 80s, right? No, okay, they're right. at the top of their 80s. My grand, my parents are, oh my God, they're they're almost 60. 
conversations with my parents or with my grandparents just you know about about this topic I think that's a great question and I'm often asked that question and I'm going to tell you um, talking about uh, death and death matters puts people on the defense right so um, they could become a little bit uh, apprehensive about sharing not because they necessarily want to hide anything, but it makes them uh, kind of face their mortality. So one of the things that I always recommend when families begin having these conversations is to approach it in this way. I am getting my legal affairs in order, mother, father. I am going through this process. I have now compiled my information. I'm keeping my information in a document um, in a locked box in our garage. By, by curiosity, what are you doing with your information? Where is your information held? Do you think that that's a good idea? Then it becomes more of an exchange of ideas instead of a confrontational conversation. These are the things that I'm doing, mother and father. I decided that I am, I have my will and I'm going to, name you as the representative. What did you do in your in your estate planning document? What did you do in your will? Oh, you don't have one. Well, would you like to look at mine and see the things that I have uh, kind of outlined? Is this something that you're interested in doing? And then maybe that can help facilitate the conversation because they see that, hey, you're making plans. They should make, they, they would know that they need to make plans too. I think, I think, in this, there has to be um, some vulnerability to have the conversation. And if you approach it in a way that's inclusive and that you're uh, just trying to exchange ideas and share, um, I think you get a lot further than where are your documents and let me know what you need to do, <laughs> what I need to do when you die. <laughs> right. And not that you're ever that crass, but that's what they hear. No matter how you approach it, that's what they hear. Because it was yeah. straight defense like my grandparents oh because I just asked them oh you know I forgot what I said to them I, kinda, I think I kind of said it like that like I don't know how I said it but he got defensive real quick I was like oh never mind <laughs> I just like well where are we going mm -hmm. yeah. okay mm -hmm. sure. mm -hmm. but yeah you're right having a more gentle, and honestly I don't even think I should be with my grandparents like my my aunt and my uncles need to handle that. Like that's, that needs to be on them. Um, that's I, know, right. I know for when my grandfather passed away, um, he, he, he had been sick for a while, right? And so mm -hmm. I think he started, he started doing research and stuff. And he told my mother, don't you spend more than this on, on this and that or whatever. And so he kind of knew how much stuff cost and, and was able to point. And my mom said, you know, he was, he was right. Like this is how much da da da. 
So I think I think a more gentle approach would be mm -hmm. saying saying I'm doing this. And after reading this book, I'm kind of inspired to at least write down what I want to do with what I have. And I feel like mm -hmm. I feel like that's the best way to start. Like, okay, what I want to do with what I have now. Right, right. Because you've worked hard, and and the thing about it is, it doesn't matter how much or how little you have. You worked hard for what you have, and so what you want to do is, you want to make sure somebody gets it <laughs> when you pass away, or if something should happen to you. You don't even necessarily have to die. You may become incapacitated, and then someone needs to be able to access your assets. And so what does that look like? Does someone know, are they, do they have a signature authority on your account? Do they know where your accounts are? Do they know where you bank? Um, do they have access to your online information? You know, so much is digital. So much is like password protected. Where are those passwords? Would someone be able to um, have access to that? So I think, it's important, not just from a death perspective, but from a whole living perspective. Right. And I think in kind of reading your book, what I feel like what my next steps would be is to just gather that information and also to make sure that my husband is, what's the terminology? Like, uh, like, oh, POD, isn't that it? Like, put it Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Transfer yeah. on death or payable on death. Yes. Those yeah. are very easy ways to transfer wealth. Um, it doesn't require um, any type of legal uh, order from a court. You don't have to go through probate. It just arises automatically out of operation of law. So those things could just transfer to whoever you designate automatically. And it's really, it's really economical to make those designations. And in some cases, it's free. You just like life insurance, you just put a beneficiary on. But I think about like a car or a home, just having a transfer on death notation, um, it, 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 it can save so much time and money. Yeah, I think that's like the first step, doing that. And then like what you said, making a list of my accounts. And, and honestly, yeah. in this social, I would want someone to close out my social media accounts. Cause yes, I know I know when people pass, they do like a memorial, and I would like that on there. People could look at my pictures. I don't know. I I've also thought about like writing out what I want the funeral to look like down to the music, but that's just because I'm a planner. So that's mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. you know. But I mean, those are the things that I'm thinking about doing. Um, is there anything else that a millennial like me could be doing now to kind of put myself in the right? position as far as estate planning goes? Uh, yes. So I think um, also it's important to make sure you have um, some goals in terms of what you want your legacy to be. And so then you work with um, professionals that can help you with that goal. So say if your goal is in retirement, I want to um, you know, draw, you know, $5,000 a month, you know, um, and then I'm going to need, you know, 10000 a year for, for traveling and work with a financial professional that can help you with investments. 
And, you know, we are, we can get on the internet and we can um, participate in like online investment strategies. But I think it's important when we have uh, broad and, and very specific financial goals to, to use professionals. Um, there are people who that's what they do all day is look at, you know, uh, investment strategies. They're very uh, familiar with uh, different uh, market sectors. And I think it's important to uh, leverage that, that uh, expertise when it, when possible. And I think now is the time now, like when you're young, when you're, when you're my age, when you're older, whatever your now is, start. Um, use people to help you reach your financial goals. Because I think one of the worst things that can happen in life, I guess it's not the worst thing, but to pass them, to get older and not have enough money and you've worked all your life, um, and maybe all it would take is maybe saving an extra 2% more a year or uh, having a little bit more taken out each check. Um, and, and when you want to make those choices and make those decisions earlier rather than later and being in a better position. Um, so I just think seeking professional help is, is key. I know when you told me that you were getting married, I was like, I want you to talk to this financial planner. And, and it wasn't because I thought you were financially irresponsible, not at all. Um, I think you're a wonderful planner and you seem very sober minded when it comes to money. But I know that uh, when you're combining, when you're in a relationship, you're, you're kind of melting two different lifestyles and you, you know, and that's not to say anything about your husband either, but just making sure everyone is on the same money, money, uh, money page is important um, because, that can ruin a relationship and it can ruin a life and it can also ruin or waste so many precious years if you're not on the same kind of uh, a money mindset. So get well, we professional did, help. What I was I saying. We did end up talking to a, a financial advisor for a couple months, but then we we're like not following her stuff. So we're like, okay, obviously we need not pay money for somebody. We are not going to follow her advice for it. It was just kind of, yes. But no, I get it. I get it. But at least you were exposed to to teachers. You won't say you never heard it. Now, whether right. you revisit it in future years, that's fine. But I think everyone needs to be exposed to it because right. I hate when people, um, well, not hate, but it, it disappoints me and saddens me when I hear people that say, oh, I've never heard of like compounding interest. I, I did a speech one time and I was talking about if you owe you know, on your house, every time you get paid, make a payment every time, like every time and pay more than you're supposed to pay and pay often. So if you have a once a month mortgage payment, I say pay it every two weeks. I say pay it every week, pay something on it because that, that minimizes the amount of interest because the amount that's being compounded is, is less every time uh, is decreased every time you make a payment. And the lady was like, What's compound interest? And this was a woman who said she was she's had two, three homes, never never thought about it, never never really thought about it. And so, I think being exposed to just certain strategies only come from being in environments where you're hearing from people that uh, know and have the expertise in that field. So, 
I feel like that's not something that is learned in school. And I, oh, no. I feel like it should be. That's a whole nother podcast episode. But, like, <laughs> but you're, you're right. And I feel like a lot, of, a lot of your money mindset is developed from your household. A lot of your money is developed from your household. Like what you see. Like my mm-hmm. friend that's no longer with me, he always had cash on hand. Like just cash on hand. You know, whatever. Here, mm-hmm. you need this. Boom, boom, boom. Whatever. And and it felt like you know my my parents. It, it felt like uh, no shade, mom. When you listen to this, but it just felt like she was you know over here robbing Peter to get Paul together. You know, and and it's just it's just interesting. So when I'm thinking about finances and I'm thinking about building a legacy, I'm like, okay, what can I do differently so that I'm in a place to to be on fire? You know, retire early. You know, financial so it's just mm-hmm. that's why i like so much about your book it just got me like okay let me get my life together let me you know set up stuff and so everything is straight and i can just go on like a lot of my friends we talk about we talk about getting out of debt by 35 one of my friends like i'm getting out of debt in three years and so yeah it's just you're right like that's the basis of it if we get out of debt we give ourselves a raise like boom we you do Oh, it's going to be great. Absolutely. Is there Absolutely. anything else that you want to share with my listeners? Yes. Um, there's about three things I want to um, just share. It's, they're just kind of just, they would summarize uh, lessons that I shared in my book. Um, if you don't make a plan, then the state is going to make a plan for you. And when I say that, I mean... Like, if you decide you never want to create a will, you never want to put your assets in trust, you don't want to put any designations or uh, assign any beneficiary um, designations to your property, that's fine. You don't have to. But what will happen is it when you pass away, and it's not if, but when you pass away, then the laws of your state will dictate how your property is divided. And I don't really think that that's what you want. Um, You may say, well, I don't care. But you also have relationships with family members who will be left behind. And if you really think about it, some people will need guidance and some people will need the the structure and the the outline of – that a will could provide or that a designation could provide. And why would you put your family who's already like dealing with the emotional impact of your death? Uh, why would you also put them through a lot of financial hardship and legal stress if you don't have to? So I think it's just something to just think about. And just because you plan, it doesn't mean that it's a death sentence. Um, a plan is just, I have something in order. And, it's funny to me, we will ensure our our digital technology. Like I will never walk out of a store and not get insurance on, you know, my phone or on my, you know, iPad. But um, we won't do things to ensure, uh, ensure our property. And I don't necessarily, I don't mean insurance. I mean to ensure that it is fine. So, um If I have a house, I think it's important to decide who's going to get that house. And and it comes with the responsibility of acquiring assets. 
also right. determining how it's going to be distributed. And just because you make that plan, it doesn't mean like you're conceding that you're ready to die. It just means that you have your legal affairs in order. And and that's what we should be about. We should be um, we should be financial uh, financially literate people, and we should be legally minded people, and we should have our affairs in order. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think that's a misconception that really causes people not to engage in estate planning. They believe they're writing their uh, death notice, and that's not what it is. And then finally, if I were going to say something about uh, estate planning, one size doesn't fit all. So for some people, it may make sense to leave everything to their spouse, or it may make sense to have a beneficiary and have varied, varied, uh, varied beneficiaries. Or for some people, everyone, this one person is going to be uh, defined as the beneficiary, and that's fine. Uh, so don't feel like there is a set blueprint. You know your family, your friends. You know who would be the responsible person and would uh, cherish and, and take care of anything that you left them, and you know who would blow through it 30 days after they got it. So, um, you know, I'd say just kind of move and uh, make decisions accordingly and don't feel like you have to do any certain thing uh, because one size does not fit all. Yeah. I. So when you said that, it kind of made me think of the situation with my parents. They're like, oh, we're going to split it evenly between you and your sister. I'm like, ooh, we sure about that? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, hey, whatever, you know, or so I I just think, mm -hmm. yeah, and so that was a conflict between me and my sister when I said that. So, you know, I just put my foot in the mouth all the time, but it happens. But you're right, because because when we set up our, me and my husband set up our life insurance, he he was like, why would I put my mom on here? She's going to die before me. <laughs> I'm like, you don't know that. Um, so then he... He just put me 100%. I'm like, well, what if I'm in the car with you? We're in the car scenario. Like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Some of that just, it just doesn't all work. You got to, I don't know, think broader. Yeah, I just. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think it's important. Have a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And I mean, this even goes beyond my book. Um, life happens and life doesn't go according to plan. So um, always think of the contingency plan. And I tell I tell couples, you know, usually they're each other's benefactor. Okay, and then think beyond your wife or your husband because usually uh, spouses are together. So if something should happen, sometimes something happens to both of you. So who would be the alternate or alternative um, beneficiary? So uh, life happens. So be prepared to come up with plan B, C, D. Heck, I think I'm on plan Q at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All the way down. But I'm okay with that. I gotcha. Okay, well, let the people know where they can find you. I see you have a website, a Twitter page, Facebook page. I'll link all that stuff in the description unless you want to say it.
thank you so much for joining me on my Legacy Experience podcast. Follow me on my website, mylegacyexperience.com or YouTube, My Legacy Experience LLC, Facebook, Legacy Experience LLC, Instagram, My Legacy Experience, or Twitter, My Legacy E-X-P-E-R-I-1. Go forth today and build your legacy.